This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite executive coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you've set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Michael Sant'Arcangelo, founder of Security Catalyst. Michael is sought out for his ability to turn complexity into comprehension. For over two decades, Michael has worked across a diverse set of industries and companies to solve security challenges at the intersection of technology, business, and people. Michael built on his experience and created a framework to bring people together and engage in the straight talk they crave. Using the straight talk framework, anyone can translate value into understanding. By creating the right connection, they elevate performance and accelerate results. Michael continues to elevate others through coaching, training, and consulting. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Michael and learn how he defines success and the lessons he has learned to help you gain the edge you're looking for. I am really excited to welcome Michael to the phone. Michael, thank you for joining us today. It's always exciting to talk to you. I love the energy you bring to our conversations. You and I have been talking now for, what, about a year and a half? We finally met in person, even though we, we didn't, have. Even though we didn't know we were going to. Until yeah, well, we those did. are the best surprises. It was uh, just happened to be in an event and recognized the voice, recognized the face, and boom, connections made. It I was, love it when it works out that way. It was perfect. I saw you on the agenda, and I was like, wow, that was incredible. It was great to hear you talk. I think we're going to hear some of what you talked about today. But before we dive into any of that, tell the audience who you are, what you're working on, what you're excited about. Oh, gosh, what I get excited about. I'm like a squirrel chasing after anything. No, it's, you know what? I've gotten a little bit better. Uh, who I am and what I'm working on. The way I like to say it is I help people translate value into understanding. Something I knew a decade, 15 years ago, was that something that's always intrigued me is people are absolutely remarkable. Now, you get them in a group, sometimes it's a little bit more suspect. But I found that if you stopped and you listened to people, we used to travel the country in an RV, and it was great because people would come out, they'd sit by the campfire, literally sit by the campfire, and you'd sit and you'd talk. Sometimes you might have an adult beverage or two, but not always, but you'd sit and you'd talk. The technology went away, and you learned these remarkable stories of people, and you could ask their stories. And I started realizing that in our society today, so many people are disconnected from their value. And the challenge with that then is it makes it really hard for us to see value in other people. 
in other situations. And we become almost desperate to try to prove that we have value. And sometimes, unfortunately, we see people do it by taking down other people instead of elevating the people around them. So when you say, what am I working on? What I realized was that sometimes that inability to see our own value or to, to feel just disconnected from it and that struggle to reconcile that with what makes other people valuable creates a lot of friction. And that friction just has some absolutely devastating consequences for us. So what I do at its core is I figure out how, how to help people overcome friction and to translate value into understanding, either their own value or the value of the efforts that they're working on. And for the last 20 years, the bulk of that work has come in the field of information security, which couldn't be better timing because there's a lot of confusion when it comes around security. And there's some suspect around what's valuable versus what's not. And so instead of just saying to people, here's how you do it, a lot of my work centers on how do we have frameworks versus systems and how do they work together so that people can get where they want to be but even if we have different approaches, we can get to the same outcome and feel good about it. So that's, that's where I spend most of my time. And how do you do this type of work? How do, you com- how do you connect with your clients and teach them what it is that it means to translate value into understanding? If, if we look at it classically, like if we say, like, how, do we, how do we teach? How do we impart this information? You know, it's kind of a two-part strategy. I'm a big believer of lead with value. You give, give a lot of it away. And, and I'm actually currently, and it's always one of those perpetual updating your website things. Well, I'm recalibrating the website. I've recommitted to writing a whole bunch of high-quality articles. I'm even going to start doing some answers, just things people give me, a little less structured, maybe a little less polished. It doesn't mean I won't edit them. It just means put myself on a timer, give people some value, lead it out. I co-host a couple podcasts. I, I guest on some podcasts, and, and I'm going to keep looking for ways to give that type of value out. Now, when somebody realizes that this might be a fit for their particular situation and they reach out, I can give everybody the classic answer, right? Well, we do uh, coaching and advisory, and I've got training programs, right? And, and advisory is really the way of saying it's like consulting but different. The way I've always broken it down is that if you hire a contractor, you got a pile of rocks in the front yard. You're expecting them to show up with a shovel. Maybe you give them a shovel, you pay them by the hour, they move the rocks. When you get to consulting, they might talk to you about whether you want this type of wheelbarrow versus this type of wheelbarrow, the different types of shovels to use. But ultimately, you either pay them on a, on a per-project basis or a fixed cost, right? and, and they move the rocks. When you hire an advisor, they look you square in the eye and say, tell me why you're trying to move the rocks. What do you want as a result? And maybe you don't need to move the rocks. Maybe you need to move them a different way. Maybe that's not the problem you really needed to solve right there. And as I've progressed in my career over the last two decades, I've really looked at the role and the importance of having advisors. So I do that. But here's the reality. When we work with people, and there's a program that I developed called Straight Talk, I give the framework away for free, and we help people with the systems. When we do that, what I've realized over the last two or three years is it really comes down to the starting point, especially for a team, is a workshop. So what I've crafted is a one and a two day event. The one day events are great. The two day events are like the one day event with a free day to do a, a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And it's a workshop. It's not training because if you think about the way most training works, it sounds great. It looks great on paper and you show up and you've essentially put everything else on hold. You go through it. It sounds great while you're doing it and, and you're energized, you're pumped. And then a couple days later, the reality of work or your situation punches in your face again and you're not necessarily certain how to make that work in the context of your work. So what we do instead is we say, well, it's a workshop. 
Let's get together. Let's talk about how these things are going to work. Let's look at the mental models that we use. Let's solve some of this problem together. So by the end of the day, the literal end of the day, you've got progress. I'd like to say we solved it, but the reality is in most cases, you have progress, you have best next steps, you've got some clarity, your team feels energized about it. And then what we do now is we impart people with a program we call the two-week test. The idea is really simple. If you look back, uh, you know, you and I are old enough that we can remember when forming a habit was 21 days. Right. It's not anymore. It's 60 days. It's 80 days. It's something like that. But when I started working on this idea of the two-week test, what I realized was if I asked you to do something for three weeks, you'd be like, oh, I don't know. Now, I have a different behavior change thing we do with people where it's just five minutes a day, five questions, five days in a row. And it works pretty well. So this is kind of building on that. What I realized was cognitively, I can ask you about this week and next week. And it's in our heads. It's our pretty short term and we can visualize what's going on. If I ask you for that third week, and, and I, I do this all the time, it's still for me, it's a struggle. Now, obviously, if you've got a special event or a big trip or a birthday or holiday, those are anchoring things. But, it, but in any given period of time, this week, next week, pretty clear. So what I started doing was I said to people, hey, could you just do one task? Simple, discrete, defined task. Idea was typically five to 10 minutes. I've expanded it a little bit in recent years, depending on what it is we're trying to get accomplished, but never more than 20, 25 minutes a day. But the idea then is to do something consistent for those two weeks. And the reason I called it a two-week test was I said, look, just try it out for two weeks. If you like it, expand it, continue it. And so I used to say, just expand it out one week, boom, there you go, 21 days. Now you've, now you've you know, at least instantiated the new habit. The reality now is if you extend it out to one week, cool, you're almost a third of the way to building a new habit. <laughs> Keep up the work. You know, you might be a quarter of the way. But the idea is let's test it out for two weeks. Two weeks is a pretty good sample in the way our business works and the way our environments work and the way our life works that if, if you're getting results in two weeks, then we can continue on it even if we change. And if you're not getting results – you gave it a couple minutes a day for two weeks. Any real harm in that? And people said, no. So what, what we've changed is it's not training. It's a workshop. Yeah, we interleave discussion. We give people a lot of tools. We impart, right? We teach a framework. We impart the system. We celebrate people's value and we show them how to reconcile it. But then we guide them on individual journeys for the next two weeks, bring them together, see how it went. And then, of course, they can continue. The reality is there's a lot of ways to work with me, but that's that's pretty much where I focus right now. And that's that's been the best. It gets the best results. I remember it was when you were speaking at the event that I heard you at a couple of weeks ago that you mentioned the 21 days is no longer the amount of time to build a habit. And I think you mentioned it was 60 or 90 days. What it's is somewhere it? between the two. The, the research is, is I, I don't want to say it's inconclusive, but behavioral research is always ranges. Uh, I've seen estimates anywhere from like 67 days to 82 days, which puts the – I'd have to go look at the median versus the mean. But in, in my mind, you're basically looking at a quarter two to three months on average to be able to do that. And as I, as I pointed out in that talk, if you go back far enough, 20, 30 years ago, when you got classic marketing advice, looking at communication and forming an impression with somebody, it was three to six touches. 20 years ago, it was nine to 12 touches. Now it's 25, 30, 35. I haven't really seen an update in two years. It wouldn't shock me if it was 40 to 50 impressions or touches. We are at an interesting time. We are overwhelmed with information, but we're starving for knowledge. And so when you want to shift your behavior, we now have to counteract all that attention residue, all the things competing for our attention and our time and our brain power. And it's going to take a little longer. I, I suspect there's some folks that can power through it faster, but 
Well, it was funny because I had just had the conversation with a very, very close friend of mine, probably within the week prior to you speaking, if not days before. And we were having that, I'll call it a debate about 21 days. He brought up 21 days. I said, no, it's not 21 days. It's no longer 21 days. And we were having this conversation about what is a habit and all these other different things. And it was really interesting. And I was very happy when you brought up what you did because I it validated me and I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> well, I always, I always, I try, I try to be validated. You know, if, if you look at Duhigg's work on the power of habit, there's oh, a lot of him. stuff there. If you look a lot of stuff like, um, uh, Ryan Levesque wrote like the one thing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Cal uh, Newport wrote deep work, uh, which is on my short list of things to read, which means maybe I'll get to it by the end of the year. Uh, my short list is only 20 books long. So, you know, it, it's, th- there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of science coming out right now that's looking at, that importance of finding your niche and crowding things out and, and getting down to what matters and not worrying too much about the rest of it. But, you know, if you think about that 21 days for a habit, it always sounded good. But if we also look at Gladwell's, you know, 10,000 hour rule, it's been widely misinterpreted. Look at um, Duckworth's thoughts on grits, widely misinterpreted. So I think it's kind of the same thing. And that's why, you know, all I look at is it's a two-week test. Test something out for two weeks. If you're getting results, it makes it a lot easier to continue with it. If you're not getting results, but you, but you think you should be, now the other advantage to a two-week test is if you structured out in advance, I'm going to go try these 14 different things. Great. Then we actually teach people to a feedback method, and they can show me exactly what worked and what didn't, what they did to contribute to it, what they learned in the process. Now, if you've got that level of self-awareness, both at an individual level, but also as a team, I, I think, quite frankly, you can almost get anything done. Especially as a team, that's really fascinating. I want to spend some time talking about the Straight Talk framework and what it is, because it's something you said you offer and you provide out there for free. So I know I'm not taking away from your making a living right now by asking you to tell us about it. No, I'm, I'm happy to. Yeah. Uh, let me introduce it by way of story. I, I spent a lot of time. I, I love questions. I, I've, I've found in life that I'm one of those folks that's just naturally curious. But what's also kind of interesting, it's not unique to me only, but I don't really care about being right. It doesn't mean I don't want truth. It doesn't mean I don't want to know what's right. It just means it doesn't matter to me if I'm right or not. I'm very comfortable in life being the, the dumb person in the room. And, and asking the dumb questions. Because what I've learned is if you don't ask those dumb questions, you don't get the types of answers that you want. So a couple of years ago, I happened to be at an event and we were working with a group of security leaders. And I was sharing some insights on value and some insights on communication, some thoughts on leadership. And I had shared a series of questions with them. It was a sponsored event. So a vendor gets up at lunchtime and s- simply says, Hey, I'm Tom. I sponsored the event. I'm here to sell you now. There's some boldness to that, but the way it was done, it was it was essentially resigned, and and people reached for their devices and you know anything that would occupy their attention other than Tom. And I had just gotten off the stage, so I was kind of buzzed, like probably literally on caffeine, but also still had that energy. And I thought, oh, Tom, what have you done? And as Tom went on, Tom gave me nothing that I couldn't get off his website. But on the proverbial back, right, this is a fancy hotel, so I, I didn't actually write on the napkins, but I grabbed a, a, one of their cool pads and I said, if I were Tom, and I jotted down the questions that I had been working with people on leadership level questions, and, and I thought, you know what, the, these are the questions. See, this, this is what, if I were Tom, I would want to answer. So we get to the bar. Tom walks up to me, says, oh, I loved what you did today. How did I do? Look, I'm candid. I, I'm wound different than other people. So I've never been good at this. I've had people at other events pull me aside and say, Michael, they said you did a good job and you asked them 
specifically what, how it's going to change their life and what they're going to do tomorrow. All they wanted to do was tell you good job. You could have patted them on the back and gone away. So with this in mind, Tom says, you know, how did I do? And I said, Tom, I'm not good at this, right? Which, which I realize now in hindsight, I should have just said, you did great, Tom. But I, I, he didn't, and I didn't feel right saying that. So I said, Tom, uh, I think you missed an opportunity. You seeded your value. I've since talked to enough sales leaders afterwards to realize I essentially punched Tom in the stomach. And so Tom said, well, what would you have done? Classic EF Hutton moment. The whole bar goes quiet. And there's about 20, 30 security leaders sitting around suddenly leaning in, listening to me and Tom and his team. And I kind of smiled and I said, well, it's funny you mentioned it. I jotted down five questions. I took him through the five questions. I'm, I'm watching one guy and his team start bouncing and jumping in the air zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the security leaders around me are saying, yeah, those are the questions too. Yeah, yeah. But then I looked at the security leaders and it wasn't a, it wasn't a dig. It, 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 was, it was nothing. All I, it was like one of those moments where you go, wait. So guys, if Tom puts a, a purchase order in front of you for $100,000, my instinct is none of you can sign that. Forget the fact we're in a bar. None of you can sign that. You've got to go ask somebody else in the organization and convince them. Am I right? Yep, 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 yep. Okay, cool. How many of you now can answer the same questions that we're just going to ask of Tom? Can you answer them to the satisfaction of somebody in your organization? Ooh, that's interesting, Michael. And it created a lot of really cool conversations. And so what happened is the Straight Talk framework was born. Now, the reason I call it a framework, right, it's structure. And a structure has to do three things. That's it. It has to define the elements, the connections, and the outcomes. And it's the elements, the connections, the outcomes. They all matter because that's how we start to overcome friction. That's how we can look at something and instead of arguing ideas with each other or, frankly, just arguing almost ad hominem and attacking each other, we have the ability to look and pinpoint something and have clarity on an outcome even if we have different approaches. So the Straight Talk framework has five questions. You do ask them in order. You don't have to. But what I've learned is if you don't, you don't tend to get the results you want. First question is, what problem are we trying to solve? It is the most powerful question I've ever asked. It is the most deceptive question I've asked. And I've worked with dozens of teams in the last two years, and very few get that clear on the first shot. Question number two, what value do you create solving that problem? Question number three, what's the impact of the solution? Question number four, how will we measure it? Question number five, are we ready? They are all simple. Each of them has multiple layers, and, and the most basic rubric, the most basic measurement is a 15-point scale. I think I've got a more complex 50-point scale. But here's what I've learned. Most people struggle just with those first three questions. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Those are the five questions that you ask. Those are leadership-driven questions. And when you get to the right answers on that, the clear, distilled answers, you have the makings to bring people together. You can influence better because everybody's had their voice. You can make better decisions faster, and there's all sorts of other stuff you can do. What you also do then to really get to straight talk, and I'm, you know, I need to explain that in a second too because there's some misconceptions. You you consider three perspectives. It typically works out almost in that example: the person asking the question, the person answering the question, and then the person assessing those answers. But you could change it. You could tell me, well, my, I just want it to be marketing, sales, and development. Okay, cool. The idea, it's almost like the, the parable of the, the three blind men and the elephant. Everybody's got a different perspective. It doesn't make it wrong. What I wanted to get is a more complete picture. So you now can ask each of those five questions according to each of those three perspectives. As you can see, we just increased the complexity. So then what we've also added are three rounds. The first round's a discovery round. A lot of times when you first give people a voice, 
or you give them a structure to have their voice heard, a lot of stuff bubbles up. And it's awesome. We want that. We want them to be excited about those things. So that's the discovery round. It's kind of like brainstorming. It's not about editing. It's not about telling anybody they're wrong. It's getting it all up. And what I always say is innovation happens at the edges of the seams. So I may not be looking for innovation, but I'm going to go look for areas of overlap. Or I'm going to go push the edges. I'm going to see what bubbles out of that. The second round is our distillation round, where we distill down to what's valuable. Now, a lot of people say, oh, about consensus. Nope, absolutely not about consensus. I know a lot of people like consensus. I'm not anti-consensus, but that's not the point. The point is to translate value. So now I've got multiple perspectives. We've worked across five leadership questions. I need to go understand what's valuable collectively. When we're down to value, then we can go through one more round. I call it the dialogue round. And that's so that we can dialogue. The idea is dialogue is about understanding. Right? When we talk about discussions or debate, it's about winning or losing. It's about being right. I've already disclosed. I'm not interested in being right. I want to get to the right result. The right result often influenced by the context, the situation, the people involved, all sorts of other stuff. If you go through all of that, depending on the complexity of your topic, the number of people, the alignment that you have or don't have, that can be anything from an hour really quick or it can take quite a bit of time. What's nice about this, then, is that because it's a framework, let's just go to something simple. What problem are we trying to solve? If you, if you come to me and say, I'm a proponent of lean and I really like five whys, awesome. I'm more of a Six Sigma person. I like to do an FMEA. Okay, cool. I have my PhD from so-and-so, and we spent a lot of time doing root cause analysis. Crush it. None of that, like, that's great, right? It goes back to your approach, your value, your experience, your background, what you bring to it is awesome. And we can celebrate that because we can show you what the elements are. We can show you what the connections are. And we can talk about the outcome. We can have two or three different people get to that outcome in a completely different way. And we have a mechanism to reconcile it. And that's something I find a lot of people don't tend to have. So that's, that's the whole idea. It's just a framework. And, and frankly, it'd be silly not to give that away. Now, in fairness, I'm updating it. So it's, it's on my website, but, um, I need, I need probably like another month to tighten it up again. By the time everyone's listening to this, I bet it will already be tightened up. So we will make Perfect. sure that you your contact information, your website is in the show notes for anybody to come out and find your information and the framework. But I'm curious, you said at one point, I think early on, that the question, what problem are we trying to solve, is often the hardest question or not the hardest one to get to the answer. Tell me more about that. Turns out it's one of those questions that sounds seductively easy. Oh, I, I'll tell you the problem. The result we see most often is a compound problem. In, in other words, I've defined a problem so broadly with so many inspecific words that I really don't have a sense of the problem that we're trying to solve. And there's no better way to invite friction in than to, to state something so circumspect and broadly that everybody puts their own stamp on it. And the problem with that approach is that when you say, right, and it's a horrible construct to say, do you understand or does that make sense? Because most people will just nod their heads and go, yep. But even if you got more nuanced with it, people will believe firmly that they understand because there was no measure. There was no way to isolate that problem. There was no way to examine if we were all on the same page. The other big mistake I see is we define the problem in terms of the solution. I know I want this product. I really like this solution. I Everybody else is buying this and I want it too. We see this a lot with regulations and security. 
regulation comes out, says you need to do X, and everybody says, cool, just give me the answer. Well, X says you have to go through a process. I don't want to go through a process, Michael. Just give me the answer. Just what's the, what's the answer? I'll buy that. Well, what problem are you trying to solve? Well, I just want to buy that solution, right? And, and then I'll define my problem in terms of that. The problem with not understanding the problem that you're trying to solve is everything cascades off of that. We have a limited amount of resources. So if I don't have clarity in my focus and I can't communicate that clearly to other people, right? So we go through three steps. I have to identify it first, then I can articulate it, and then I can translate. They're related, of course, but each one is slightly nuanced in its approach. Well, if I've defined the wrong problem, the likelihood of me having clarity on where I really need to spend my time is not high. And we see this consistently in in society, and I've seen it in myself and in your family. If you don't really have that really clear picture and you're not feeling good about it, everything else creeps up. It's harder to turn off the annoyances and, and to stop the announcements and, and oh, I'm not sure if I should be focused on this or not. Yeah, you don't have that clarity. The moment you get clarity of focus, it's really easy to just crowd the other stuff out because you understand that there's a limited amount of time. You understand the outcome. You understand the value of the outcome. You understand the impact. And if the impact's not negative, it's not going to erode your value. The, the impact is, is going to be positive and you want that. And boom, and you go after that. So that, that problem is really elusive to a lot of people, that question. And the problem, the problem's elusive. How does someone know if they've generated too broad a problem statement or that they haven't got clarity? What, what are the clues if, if you're not in the room with them? One of the things that we do, uh, and I'm, I'm going to do some more writing about this as well, and I'm trying to help people figure it out the right way. Um, this is one of the things that we do in the workshops with people. But basically, I, the, the short hint on it, because I can give you more on how to do it, and that's what I do in the workshops. But what I look at is if you get the problem right, you've met three criteria. The first criteria is that you've elevated, you've isolated it and elevated it. Typically, that means you can ask it to me as a question. It needs to be pretty simple. Now, there's always variance on this. If, if it's slightly more complex and so you want to set it up with like a, I don't know, I'll, I'll be really specific, a 10 to 15 word sentence and then ask it as a question, cool. The reason we ask it as a question is because our brains are wired for questions. And if you ask that question and somebody actually has that problem, our brains lock onto it. You can try to will it, but that's just, it's the, it's the way that our lizard brain tends to work. And it's like, oh, I, I have that. Let me pay attention. Step two, or the second thing I look for is, did you lay out for me an accurate set of consequences? It's not doom and gloom. The world's not going to end. But, but what's, the realistic, what's the realistic outcome of this? Now, I'm not looking at value at this point. What I'm actually looking at is urgency. Uh, so I'm not looking at priority, but I'm looking at, Yep, this is a problem. And yeah, it's a problem I'm trying to solve because those consequences, I don't want those. Those are bad. And then when we offer the solution, and this is really the test, the solution is just the inverse of the problem. That's it. It's the mirror statement. So what happens a lot of times is you'll say, like, for example, uh, the problem is I'm struggling to influence without authority. I can't get can't seem to get people to understand I'm not really getting any traction. I'm in a constant reaction mode. I'm really tired of that. Cool. What are the consequences? Uh, my team's burning out. I'm wasting all sorts of energy. I'm getting frustrated. We're not really building the trust of people we want, and I think we're missing a lot of opportunities. So what's the solution? Now, here's the mistake. A lot of people go, oh, well, the solution is you should buy my strategy. And blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, no, no. The solution is really simple. The solution is you've got to earn the respect as being the trusted partner, right? If, if the problem is... I'm, I'm not influencing change and people aren't coming to me, then the solution is you need to be seen as the resource people come to. And as a result, you're able to influence better outcomes. That's it. People go, oh, that seems too simple. No, it's, it's not. It, to get down to something that, that specific is actually 
I mean, I just did a workshop with the team. It took us all day. And what they thought the problem was versus by the end of the day, totally different. Now, when you get that right, somebody goes, yeah, that's right. I, that's, that's what I want. The logical question is, well, how do you do that? And that's the difference between answers and explanations. In, when you get the problem statement right, you're not defining the solution in terms of the product set, the features, um, how much it's going to cost or anything else. What you're basically saying is, I have this problem. These consequences make it urgent enough. This is the solution. The solution is the answer. So if you ask it as a question, this is the answer. That's it. When someone says, cool, how do you do that? Then if you're in the process of selling something, let's not kid ourselves. We're all in the process of selling something. Then you can go explain the benefits. So for example, for me, most of the clients I work with are, are struggling with that influence without authority. It's huge. It's huge in security, but if we're fair about it, it's huge in most places. It's that they're struggling to break down these barriers, to build up these connections, to do that influence without authority, to get off this reactive cycle. We, we want to be more proactive. We're struggling to get there. Consequences we kind of touched on. So, so the solution is you have to figure out how to translate value into understanding. You've got to capture somebody's attention in a way that's meaningful to them, but that they understand it, that they comprehend it, and that they're able to do something with it. Then what I add when someone goes, yeah, how do you do that? I said, well, I call that straight talk. Straight talk is, is a framework that, let, that gives people a voice. It gives us that mechanism. It's a way to see what's valuable to us and to someone else and to reconcile those things together. People go, oh, cool. Well, how do I get started? And then, right, so I've learned that we say, well, straight talk starts with value. Value in context is a value proposition. Value proposition is a promise that you're going to solve a specific problem in a way that increases value in consideration of the impact. So whether you're going to take away the value or increase the value or just you understand what it's going to be able to do. And that's where people get started. And then now I can go have really good conversations with people. But the solution isn't straight talk, right? Straight talk is a mechanism to get to the solution. That's the that's the difference. This is fantastic. I can imagine being in one of these workshops is very eye opening and helpful for those that you're working with to get to that place where they actually have a proper problem statement they can solve for. This is really Well, and you know what's great about it? The, the ground rules we set are that there's no right answers or no wrong answers. I mean, at, at, at its core, this is the outcome that we want to get to. So typically we introduce five whys. Five whys is something that is fairly simple to grasp. doesn't require a lot of training, but I'll tell you, every time I've done a workshop with five whys, and all you do is you ask the question why five times. There's, there's some nuance to it. And if you just do a search on five whys, actually the Wikipedia article is fantastic. There's a lot of insight on it. People go, oh, that was different than I expected. That, that was a little more challenging. Yes, mm -hmm. because it's like most things. You, we, if you go in with the preconceived notion, it's really easy. So here's what I love. Every time you go in, somebody on every team, they've got something that's really cool. And what we've done is we've given them a chance. They, they feel very comfortable and they can say, no, I don't agree. I don't get it. And we're like, cool. Why? Like, which part? Cool. Like, let's go. And people are like, wait, so you're not going to attack me because I didn't agree with you? No. I, you, you know the team. You, you, you know what's real. Let's, let's talk. Let's see where that fits. And suddenly, not only are we coming up with a better problem statement, Sharon, but we're watching people start to realize, oh, so-and-so has a really cool problem. I never realized that about them. That's interesting. And so they, they leave with a, with a better sense, too, of how to explain their value to other people. I call the five whys channeling your inner two-year-old. We've oh, all yeah. been around the two-year-olds. Why? 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 Why is the sky blue? Why is this? Why is that? And I've told clients that you go, I, I didn't know that five was the rule, but I said go as deep as you can until there's no more why. You have your answer as yeah, to I, why you want I to like, do something. Yeah, I like your approach. Um, and it's one of the things I said to people. You know, the, the world works in threes and fives. Yes. In, <laughs> five is a really good number of, for, for asking why. 
If it takes six, it takes six. Because what you also find happens, and this just happened in the workshop, is in the context of asking why, you come up with another problem. People go, what do you do then? Doesn't that the scope increase? No, you table it. <laughs> you put it off the side. So we did. We bullpen two other ideas, and then we ran through those. And it was interesting because that process showed us the terminal points of a couple ideas. And, and people collectively went, oh, I get it. That's okay. That's not tenable. That's not going to work. Cool. Scratch it. And then when we got down to what really mattered, we erased the board. We went through it again, and then it got a lot clearer. It's a little bit like mind mapping. If you've ever done mind mapping, you go through the process. It's, it's messy. If you do it properly, it's messy. It's all over the place. It's a way to visually organize your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And the trick most people forget then is, is you go back through it. You go over it again, and you clean it up. And it's actually in that cleaning it up that you really solidify those connections. I find it's the same thing with five whys or any number of things. Get the ideas out. Talk them out and then go over it again and and see if you can't find a better pathway. Almost always the answer is, yep, you can. Oh, this is really interesting. I can't believe how much time has already passed from the perspective of, wow, it's been so quick and you've provided so much information that we're going to be ending our conversation very soon. But I will always ask every guest the same question because I think it's really the meat of why I do this show. And I'm not going to go into the five whys, but... One of the reasons we have this show and the reason I created it in the first place was this whole idea about success and too many people are living in a world where they've taken someone else's definition. So they might be in a job Mm. because mom said you should be a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist, whatever that might be. Or the TV said you're successful when you make this kind of money or drive this kind of car because of all those subliminal messaging, the TV advertising and television shows and all of that gives us. But when I talk to people like yourself and others who I feel are successful in what they've done, it's it's not been a straight road. I'm sure if we were to have a second conversation or to extend this conversation longer, you'd be able to tell us and I would be asking you, tell us all the pitfalls and all the setbacks and all the things that you had to deal with to get there to help people understand it's not a straight road. One of my early guests said something that I loved. It was someone said it to him. Yeah, it was an overnight success after 10 years. Yep. We see the success, so we assume that if I don't get there, I'm not successful. I've done something wrong. But that's not how it works. We all know that there's a lot of dead ends on the road to any success, and whether it's a small success or a big success. So I want to know from you, Michael, what does success look like or or how do you define it? How do you know when something's been successful for you? I've actually spent a lot of time looking at this. And as I was listening to your explanation, you know, it's, it's fascinating how many times we accept the masks that people give us or right, some, some of the theories around domestications and attachments and all sorts of stuff. It's fascinating because I, I, what I love about this question is a lot of times when I ask this of other people, they shrug and say, well, I don't know. For me, it's actually really simple. Um, I, I look at it in terms of game theory. So a lot of people know short games. So if you say, you know, security is not a sprint, people go, yeah, it's a marathon. Yeah, it's a trick question. It's not a marathon either. There's this concept of the infinite game. And in an infinite game, there's no end. It's a journey. And the only way you can improve, the only way you get better in an infinite game is if you are better tomorrow than you are today. And, and then when I look at it from a leadership perspective – are the people around you better tomorrow because of their time with you today? So for me, it's all about success. It's all about elevating the people around you. But in order to do that, you've got to first invest in yourself. So what I always look at, really simple, is success for me is that I make investments today that will pay off for me tomorrow. And did the people I came into contact with today, will they be better because they met me today? Yeah, cool. That's it. That's successful. And, and sometimes it's it's really small stuff. But what I've learned, especially with more focus, is that if you can track some of that, and I'll, I'll tell you, that's one of the secrets I had. I was really kind of blind spotted on some of this myself. And I started keeping this thing called a smile file. 
and it was it was it was somebody else suggested it to me because they pointed out I tended to focus on my failures. So you, you bring that up. We need a much longer show. <laughs> but what I did was every time somebody sent me a nice note, um, hey, thanks for this. Hey, you made a difference. Hey, you shaped my career. Hey, I liked whatever. I started saving them. And it's funny because I had a guy uh, say to me one time, well, so how many do you have in there? I'm like, I don't know, 10, 12. He's like, open it up. I had like 170. I went, oh, okay. I guess I'm not keeping appropriate track of it. And that was a real wake-up call for me. So I'll give you another example of, of making those investments. I've started moving to uh, – I'm not against task lists. In fact, I'm really kind of surprised at the number of people who go through the week and don't have any sort of intention. But what I've done now is I move to something much more visual. I use a Kanban board. The reason I do it is twofold. Let's me visually see if I'm trying to overload myself or not. And, and when I do, I then force decisions. But then I get to the end of the week and I always take time on Friday afternoons and I look at all the stuff that I got done. Now, it's not the minuscule stuff. I put fuel in the car. I picked the kids up from school. No, 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 no. The, the, these are tasks, right, that the, represent investments, investments in me, investments in other people. Did I, did I meet my mission of being a little bit better today than I was yesterday? And it's kind of surprising when we get to the end of the week, instead of looking at our list and all the things we didn't get done and thinking about all the setbacks, if you can just reflect for five minutes or so on, wow, look what I did get done. And then just simply ask, am I better off this Friday than I was last Friday? Am I, am I in a better position? Did I help other people? Did I do those basic things? Most times the answer is yes. And if not, well, then we can work on some intention setting, I guess. What is the board that you use? I haven't heard that term before. It's called a Kanban, K-A-N-B-A-N. There's a lot of stuff out there on Kanban and personal Kanban. It's big in the world of Agile. It is a method of visualizing your work. I am probably not doing it service. I've been working on my own method of using it for about five years. And the idea is you want to limit the amount of work that you have open at any given time and you want to force yourself to completion. What we find is that most of us are instinctively good at starting. We're not so good at finishing. And the idea here is, is you want to increase your throughput and get the things that are finished. I'm definitely guilty of really good at starting, really bad at finishing. Some of the things I've done in the last few months to just work through the little things as simple as making the bed every day. And I used to make the bed most days, but when I say make the bed, I mean at some point before I went back to bed that night, I would make the bed. So it didn't mean first thing in the morning. And now I've started making the bed before I even leave the room in the morning. Instead of saying, I'll come back and do it later. And starting to you know try and do something to completion first thing in the morning. I was thinking it would spread quickly to the rest of my life, which it hasn't, but I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> Well, and that's, but you know, that's the thing too. Like when you start looking into stuff like the power of habits and the power of routine and, and looking at, you know, the impact of, of things and stuff, you know, it's interesting as, as a quick aside is that one of the big lessons I learned was straight talking. And I'm going to tie it back to this is that if, if people look at it, uh, and in fact, after that talk, somebody who's through one of my first classes came up and said, so wait, are you telling me now I don't have to go through all five questions, all perspective, all rounds every time? And I said, yeah, that's, that's the equivalent of pushing you into the deep end and hoping you swim as opposed to now showing you how to, you know, wade into your gently warmed zero entry, double handheld uh, ramp pool to kind of ease your way into it. So what we do now is we just teach people value prop, real value prop, not, not, the, not the stuff that people seem to confuse off the internet, but the, the first three questions, the problem you're trying to solve, the value of the solution, the impact of the solution, and understanding that. So here's the cool thing. You can use it to straight talk your life. 
Uh, and we've been doing that uh, with four kids. It gives us an opportunity to start saying, okay, but what's the problem we're trying to solve? And it's been great. It's helped us decide things like when and, and how to move in vehicles to purchase and activities to engage in. And then when we're feeling like things are a little out of control, we can just take you know 20 minutes and just bounce some of these things back and forth and quick consider value, quick consider impact. Um, and, and suddenly we get a lot of clarity from that. And then, okay, we move forward. Although I can teach people really cool systems and methods and ways to, to defend the work and document it all, the reality is it's, it's a great way to just think about life. Oh, and if you'll allow me, one quick thing. A lot of people hear the word straight talk and they go, oh, that's like when you push them back and punch them in the throat and tell them how things are. <laughs> uh, that's just being a jerk. Straight talk, and even if you go look it up, uh, not the wireless company, but straight talk itself, it's plain, it's simple, it's direct, it's honest. And it's really about having pretty good emotional intelligence. Straight talk is explaining something in a way that somebody else understands. That means you have to know who you're talking to. You have to know what's important to them. You have to pay attention to those cues. Straight talk means you've set an intention that you've taken the responsibility of translating that value. And that means then that it's much more than just communication. It's a mindset in terms of how you want to get down to what's important. It's a skill set in terms of how you do it, but it's also an experience. When you're around somebody who's a straight talker, it feels great. You know where you stand. You know what's up. You're not trying to figure out what they really meant or what, what else is trying to happen, and you want more of that. And so if we can start offering that to people, they love it. They crave it, and we'll get more of it too. And then suddenly we get more attention, and we get more time, and we get better results, and all those types of things happen. So it's exciting stuff. It is exciting, and I'm so glad you joined us today to talk about it. I hope people go to your website and check out uh, Straight Talk, the framework. Like I said, by the time you are listening to this, my listeners, Michael's website should be current. And if you have any questions, please reach out to him. Michael, we'll have you on again so we can talk about the other side of the path to success, all the setbacks. Yeah, we're going to have to book a longer program, but I, I'm, I'm happy to share. Um, I always tell everybody, uh, most of my path has been mistakes. And what's interesting is when I was younger, people warned me about a lot of those mistakes. And I had this idea, not me. And now that I'm older, I've realized I was supposed to think that way. I think young, young folks, um, if someone tries to discourage you and you're like, screw you, I'm not going to make your mistakes good. Here's the operative lesson. You're totally going to make the same mistakes. Maybe yours will be different and that's the goal, but we survived them and we can still be successful. And so can you, that's the lesson. That sounds good. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll talk again. Take care. And thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.